Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, nations? Well, I think I just made that one up. You know what? We're past that. We're almost past that entire intro. It's just a consistency thing. You know, I'm actually considering not uh, saying fuck at all ever again on this podcast. But, you know, fuck that. Am I right? I mean, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But I know that some people who don't know really what to expect from the show or perhaps come into the show later. uh, Perhaps this is your first show. And you're like, wow, this guy has said fuck, you know, nine times already in five minutes. And to that, I say, what are you, my grandma? Are you my grandma? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I, you know, I don't want to drain you. I hope you're doing well. It's nice to see you. One thing I'm not going to do is talk about any of my feelings about uh, how an interview went or didn't go. Look, that's that's on you. I just do what I do. I'm not going to share my experience of interviews anymore. I'm just telling you that. And I, I had a policy of that before because uh, you know, people have their own relationship with the guests that I have on, their own history with them and their minds. Why mess with that with my own ridiculous emotional expectations? Let it be, man. Am I right? I am right. Uh, Douglas Rushkoff is on the show today. He's a man I've talked to before and uh, back when I was on the radio. He's a thinker. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, we all consider ourselves thinkers, but he's a professional thinker. And his new book is Present Shock. He's written a lot of books. Life Inc., How Corporations Conquered the World and How We Can Take It Back. I enjoyed that one. Uh, Media Virus, Hidden Agendas in Popular Culture. Get Back in the Box, How Being Great at What You Do is Great for Business. Nothing Sacred, The Truth About Judaism. This dude is a thinker, a public intellectual. Is that what, just that's what he does, he thinks. He'll be on in a second. Before I forget, I will be at Zany's in Nashville, Tennessee, Land of Prince's Chicken. July 18th, 19th, and 20th. Okay? That's going to happen. I'll be at the Silver Jubilee for Sub Pop. Sub Pop, Silver Jubilee this weekend. This the 12th up in Seattle. Anyways, look, people. uh, I'm going to talk about technology and culture in a few minutes. You know, I'm going to talk. Like, I am a, a Twitter addict. I'm having a hard time, man. My conscience is starting to speak to me in 140 character bursts sometimes i wonder whether or not any of us are actually moral people anymore or whether or not we're just afraid that something will be revealed on a social networking site or that some camera will pick up our behavior or that someone's going to overhear us and send that out into the world i I wonder if we are really moral people or just frightened people i don't know that's ever been any different everybody's worried about the nsa which they should be because we didn't know about that stuff. Obviously, the NSA stuff is horribly disturbing in that we didn't know that our government was doing that. I mean, some people are like, hey, man, if you got nothing to hide, don't worry about it. But that's not the point. The point is, what if that technology gets into the hands of somebody who may not have our best interests at heart, which is almost any government to some degree. But what's more disturbing is the more you tweet, the more you get on Facebook, the more you do anything publicly... In any platform, all that shit is amassed and sold. Clicks, identities, 
And then, you know, it's just put into a mill and they sort of break you down and then they can shove shit directly in your face that they think you'll like and you might not even know it's happening. You might think you have control over your desires, but you don't. They've been designed and boxed and exploited and mined by corporate interests who pay for that information just because we're, we, we want to post what we're doing. Hey, I'm eating breakfast. What's he eating for breakfast? Puffins. All right, he's a puffins guy. Break it down. He's a puffins guy. It means he shops at a probably a, some in the at least in the natural food section of a regular supermarket, but most likely at a Trader Joe's or perhaps a Whole Foods. That means that his tastes are specific. Probably brings his own bags. He's that guy. He's a he brings his own cloth bags guy because he he thinks he cares about the environment, but he probably doesn't. He might have a girlfriend that forces him to bring his own bags to TJ's, and that's the type of girl that probably uses healthy products for her face and cares about stuff and he's probably the kind of guy that because he's trying to make his girlfriend happy is secretly miserable so let's put all that into the bank and see what we get and try to push it right up into his face and he'll he'll jump at it i guess what i'm saying is i just wonder how much of our brains we really have left and how much of the collective unconscious is mediated by social networking platforms and how they're using that to just extrapolate information and and sort of categorize it until they completely pummel our desires and we don't have any control whatsoever our only the only ability we have is to sort of scream loudly at home at our computer or step away from the computer just to scream loudly occasionally wait a minute when did scott ackerman get here (laughs) holy shit Scott Ackerman, you're in my. When when did you get into my garage, Mark? Oh. Did you really sleep with Gina Gershon? No. What? We. And I was in bed with her for a few minutes. <laughs> had my shirt off. I think that that is disingenuous. If you're going to say you slept with someone on your TV show, you should literally do it look, while I, you're filming. Look, it's bad enough that my girlfriend has to see me in bed with women. Has to let it known. Let, let it gets to. Gina, Gina, yeah, <laughs> try and spin that with her. <laughs> I I get yeah, commercial comes on and i'm in trouble i literally my wife is in my my wife is in my tv show and and i put her in a makeout scene i didn't even think about it i was just like oh she'd be good for this role and then the day happens oh and how did you? and some young handsome guy is making out with it did you have any emotional reaction so hot (laughs) well that must be where you're at in your relationship yeah (laughs) Yeah. let's mix it up well we've been together 14 years (laughs) we need something bring in the new guy (laughs) so are you done shooting everything yeah, we just wrapped uh, season two. Funny? I mean, you feel good about it? I feel great about it. I feel like this this season... I, I think we, we came in the first season kind of going, okay, we think we know what we're doing. Right. Because um, we had a good pilot and right. sort of based it all on the pilot. Right. And then we found out yeah. that we didn't really know what we were doing, especially. So you had no idea how to construct a series out of your pilot, but you figured, well, there seems to be a template here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so by the end of it, we were kind of like, oh, here's a way we could do it better. And uh-huh. so this year, I think we did it really, really well. Like what? How, what were some of the things you changed or think you or made you understand it better? There, there were certain structural things that we changed uh, to streamline it a little yeah. bit. There were certain ways that we made it easier on the talent involved. But more than that, I think we uh, really amped up the storylines that are in this season. We actually right. have more narrative in the actual shows uh, and through lines through the shows. So like Mr. Show style? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're some. Uh, there's a few of the episodes where everything comes together at the end right. with all these disparate elements that right. we've 
pioneered in there that you go, holy shit, I never saw that coming. Um, but well, you were one of the pioneers of that. You were there at the cutting edge I, of modern themed improvisational comedy using celebrity guests and weirdness. I don't. I wouldn't say that I was there a pioneer of it because those guys did it before I ever joined them. <laughs> but oh, all right, but yeah. I, I was I was very influenced by them, and I yeah. I used to see the Mr. Show shows, and it made me start doing comedy. But um, and then you know Bob asked me to write on it and uh, that was really nice but and this uh, is your own thing this is my thing did, yes. dave, did dave cross come on your show he came on this year yeah he was he great did? yeah yeah he he was on the first season doing a little funny part but he's he's a uh, celebrity guest as we say uh, did, uh, this year was that part of your deal with him on the first season like just do this <laughs> thing with me and, no and he on. he came on the first season and he uh didn't know what the show was right all he did was read the script i think he just read his lines he didn't even read my lines <laughs> and said oh i think this is a funny a funny sketch so i'll do it yeah, and then he saw the show later and was like, "Oh my god, this show was really, really good." So he was really excited to come on this year. Oh, okay. and I have him and Bob doing a scene together. Oh, really? Uh, in it. Yeah, yeah. So. But as as themselves, uh, David is himself, and Bob is playing a character. Uh, uh, so. Who else is on? Uh, there are so many people on this year. We have uh, Pee Wee Herman. That's a big thing. He, wow. As Pee Wee, yeah. uh, he he did all new Pee Wee bits. Really? Yeah. He wrote a whole bunch of new Pee Wee bits to do. Sort of like this the it, first time that he's done new Pee Wee bits. Kind of. You know. I mean, since the Broadway show, I think. Yeah. Wow. He, he. I mean, I love the Pee Wee on Letterman shows, and that's right. what I wa- wanted my show to sort of be. Right. So. A mixture of those two things. So to have him come on and do like all new Pee Wee bits, the style of what he used to do on Letterman was a, a huge thrill for me. Oh, that's great! And so, he looks good. He looks yeah, he's great. Yeah, it's not he's, like oh, Pee Wee's old. No, no, no. He's really funny. He was great. Oh, all good. the all the bits were were fantastic. Awesome. So. We have uh, uh, the season premiere. We have Andy Samberg on it uh, with Jordan Peele and a whole bunch of guest stars. Oh, uh, they're funny. Um, we have Peele's funny. Jessica Alba, uh, Anna Kendrick, Aziz Ansari. Oh, yeah. uh, Was she funny? Anna Kendrick's great. Yeah. Yeah. She was a fan of the show, I guess. Uh She was the first person to to sign on. Oh, really? Yeah. She she wanted to be be part of that thing? She was the first celebrity to get back to us and schedule a date. How many did you do? We did 20. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was a huge undertaking. Who wrote them with you? Uh, I have a staff of Neil Campbell as the head writer, yeah. who was the artistic director of the UCB Theater. Uh, three of the Birthday Boys. I don't know if you know that sketch group, but they have a show coming out on IFC. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, Eva Anderson, who's yeah. a, a great sketch writer. And then uh, the head writer of The Onion, Seth Reese, um, joined us. And then uh-huh. Paul Rust, who, uh-huh. who wrote the Pee Wee movie. Wow, that uh, seems like kind of an all-star writing room. Yeah, it was really great. It was and and the the writing this year. I think the other thing that we changed back to your point was uh, the first year we started doing a ton of. Um, I, I wanted to do like takes on talk show stuff, mm-hmm. and so this year we threw that out and said any sketch we'll do any sketch we can find a way to. F- That's the great thing about the fake talk show format right. is you can find a way to do almost anything Just out of it. Just fit it in. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so if we if someone had a sketch that was really funny, we would figure out a way to like walk out of the studio and do it. Right. Know? Why not? Without it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to just you know, doing a riff on a talk show. Yeah, exactly. Open it up. Yeah. So if someone had a fake trailer, we go, hey, I'm starting this movie. Let's see this trailer. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, if yeah. someone had a sketch about, you know, men back in the 1920s, right. we would flash back and remember, right. you know, yeah, us yeah, doing yeah. something in the 1920s. So, so okay. it's really anything can happen in the show. And, and it's really a, a great opportunity for comedy, I think. Too. And wait, okay. So who else? 20, fu- 20 fucking episodes. I mean, we you, have, you just named four people. Yeah, we have. Bill Hader, we have Zach Galifianakis. Uh, Did Zach do more than one? 
Zach is the only person who's been a couch guest in more than one, but I will say this year he is not himself. He is a couch guest, but he's not himself. Oh, good. If that makes sense. Kind of. That doesn't even mean it, it may be a character. It might just be Zach not being himself. It, he's I, The hint I'll give you is he's the the special guest in our Christmas episode. Oh, good. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if that if you can put two and two together. Uh, who else do we have? Does he have a beard? He does have a beard. Oh! Perhaps a white beard. Oh, I get it. <laughs> um, how's your show going? It's good. It was. Uh, it seems to be doing well. I, it's hard to tell with them, isn't it? it uh, they say they're happy. That's all you have to uh, <laughs> hold on to. They say they're happy. Yeah. Just take them at their word. Okay. They, they probably are. <laughs> then I will. How's yours doing? I don't know. We're not back on when yet. When is it on, Scott? Uh, it starts July 12th, 10 p.m. IFC. And if you want to get caught up on the first season, it's all on Netflix right now. And you can watch all 10 of them on Netflix, which a lot, I guess a lot of people are doing. A lot well, that's of people... good because you don't want to come in the middle of Comedy Bag Bag. <laughs> yeah, not you... know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> we actually do have storylines that are layered that throughout continue? the whole season. Oh, yeah. really? The, one of the last episodes we have is a running joke throughout the entire season <laughs> is finally resolved. And how's, uh, how's Reggie? Reggie's great. He uh, Reggie Watts is my band leader in it. If you haven't seen the show, um, he's one uh, guy. Yeah, he is the band. Yeah, he's fun. he's a very talented guy. He makes a lot of sounds with the uh, with machines and his face. And, and he's a really funny actor. And we asked, we actually while we were writing, asked him what he wanted to do this year, and he said, "I don't know. Um, I'd like to play a cop." So he's a cop in one episode with that hair and <laughs> yeah, that beard. Sure. <laughs> Why not? We do a. There's a really funny episode with Zoe Saldana from Star Trek and Avatar. Sure. That where called Cop Swap, where yeah. uh, it's a fake reality show where every week a policeman switches places, switches jobs with a regular citizen. Oh, okay. And so he switches with Reggie. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Who came up with that idea? You know the writers. And really? I, I, well, it really was. He said I wanted to play a cop. Yeah. And then I started saying Cop Swap. Like in the writer's room, yeah, yeah, going yeah. cop swap, right? And then we just wrote a sketch around me saying cop swap, and that's how it's done, kids. You just, you know, you kind of lock into something, you say it enough, and magic happens if you're around the right people. Yes, you have to be around the right people. <laughs> so, all right, July. Don't do it yourself. July what? July twelve, Friday, July twelfth, and we're doing twenty episodes all the way till December nineteenth well, or something uh, like that. It's good news for everybody. It's hilarious. Scott Ackerman, comedy, bang bang. Do you need me to? Show you out of the garage, or how do you want to do this? You I'll just want... sneak around the way I came in here. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, I know a special way in here. Do I hang you, out? You I... don't even know about. Real... Did you come up through the skunk hole? <laughs> oh, wait, you know about the skunk hole? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that you knew uh, about it. Now you're going to have to figure out a different way. Ah, <laughs> well. So watch that. Watch that comedy bang bang thing. That's happening. Oh, my God, I'm crying. I'm crying. Let's talk to Douglas Rushkoff. Do you use a, you, these go right into your mixer or do you use these preamps and then? No, I go right into an analog mixer and then I go from there into GarageBand and that's it. Right. So uh, I get uh, I get one track because it's voice. I don't I don't deal with uh, USB mixers. I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you told me about this. What's the thing you told me about? Source Connect. Source Connect Piece for the ISDN line. Right. So you could run yourself a satellite or actual terrestrial radio show right off your computer. Right. See, the future is here. Is that the point, Douglas Rushkoff? That is the point. Is the that future the point? is here. Is that, that was well. That was supposed to be the point. That was the point of digital technology. I mean, was that we get to do stuff in our own time, in our own way. You know, I can sit at home in my underwear and work. And was not, that always the point? Now that okay. was originally. It was the part of the slacker era. This so, was the Simpsons and Rick Linkletter, and it was that moment. 
But uh, okay, but okay. So the new that. the new book is Present Shock, which is a uh, uh, when everything happens now. The past that's a riff on Future Shock, which was a book that was prophesizing. Yeah, 1970s. Or speculating. Alvin Toffler. It was a Toffler book. He yeah. wrote the third. Uh, what was his other book? There was Future Shock and. and Oh, what was, was it, the other one? It wasn't third wave. Third, third. Oh I fuck, forgot. man! Because like, yeah, because yeah. Toffler and his wife, yeah, right. But uh, yeah, yeah, but they were not necessarily on the money. They were, you know, you go back and and read Future Shock again. He's right, seventy eighty percent of the time. Like what, about it, what's going on? You know that birth control is going to give people more choice. It's going to change people's relationship to marriage, allow for gay marriage, and all this other stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, he was kind of seeing. Basically, the main thing he was arguing was that we were going to get more and more choice over things. And as we get more and more choice, we're going to have to think about how do we legally structure our world? You know, if everybody's doing everything they want, when they want, how they want it. And that's a real problem. It can be. Well, it's a challenge. Well, okay, it's a challenge. But uh, all right, so let's 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 start off with some background about you. You come from where? Queens, New York. Queens. Queens. Yeah. Yeah. Whitestone. Whitestone. You grew up there. I grew up there in Larchmont and Westchester. Uh, you know, my dad got better jobs. I moved to what was his racket? Uh, he his racket. He was a, a CPA who became a hospital financial administrator back before the days of HMOs and all that. He okay. ran Mount Sinai Hospital by the end of it all. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. As so, a yeah, non-doctor, big uh, a Jewish family. Jewish family. Yeah. yeah, he was the first one to go to college. That whole thing. Right. Kicked Grand- out of kicked out of my gra- grandfather. Got thrown in a well in a pogrom in Kishinev when he's a little kid. Really? Yeah, it broke his back. So that was the story. Really yeah, yeah. Oh and my his god. Father got hanged in the store window. The other Get one. The fuck out yeah, of here. hanged. And the uh, other one, they were from Romania, and they used to fish by this big lake in uh, in Bucharest, and then they made a law the Jews aren't allowed to fish in that lake anymore. So they send him over. He's twelve years old, and he's pushing a cart, and he turns it into the biggest you know textile chain in, in New England. So, so your, your grandpa was uh, part of the uh, the sort of immigrant rush of schmata exactly. or textile <laughs> in, the, in, in New England. Yeah, there you go. Wow. So you, you're, you're thoroughbred. Oh, thoroughbred yeah. Eastern European. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grandma the... was a Bolshevik or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we, what was your education? Uh, I, I went to college. I went to Princeton. I went to uh, art schools after that. I went to Cal Arts. Yeah, out here, and then AFI out here. I was going to do theater and film, and then it just got too kind of vapid. And I ended up writing books, which worked. I just got for fun. I got a PhD at Utrecht University in Holland. I wrote this big dissertation on sort of money as a. a it's called monopoly monies. The idea that that. I think anyway, the digital technology helps us see the kind of how fabricated money is. It helps us recognize the operating system of central currency, you know, as an operating system rather than as or as real. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting because it's sort of a sham that this is just a bunch of, you know, that there, there's very little money and a lot of IOUs. Yeah. Well, that's what <laughs> money is that there used to be. If yeah. you look at it from the perspective of a media theorist, yeah. there were all these other kinds of monies back in the 10th, 11th, 12th centuries. Mm-hmm. And they came and said, all those monies are illegal. If you want to trade with each other, you've got to use this money. You've got to borrow it and you have to pay it back at interest. It's like, it's a great way for the rich to stay rich by being rich. Yeah. Just by, you know, creating indentured servitude with exactly. Exactly. anybody below a certain point. Right. But then and from the perspective that I'm in now, though, the whole point is they, they put a clock in money that didn't need to be there. That's yeah. how we got the industrial age. Time is money. We have to grow and expand and grow faster and faster and faster. And that's what Toffler was looking at. That's what futurism was. End of the 20th century. How can we go? What's the Moore's law, you know, by which things are going to increase? But, but how does how does actual production of goods play into that paradigm? I mean, if now you're really dealing with the production of 
of content and a and an, an almost addictive uh, need for content on a right. consumer basis. And then a good part of the population demands free content. So what is the industrialism that we're looking at? It dies. I mean, it basically, it goes away. And we start to realize, okay, everybody wants everything for free and they don't want to pay for it. But well, where where's the real problem in this? You know, and that's when you got to start doing some kind of thought mining. You know, the problem is that what we're trying to do is to extend the industrial age model of economics and business and central banking into a digital age that doesn't recognize it, that doesn't In, need it. Into the Wild West, basically. Right. And not even the Wild West, because that was pre-industrial and actually it was a, a movement towards building capitalism. But in the sense that there there's this very you know thinly organized chaos right in the digital age right but the digital age really retrieves that peer-to-peer uh kind of marketplace the bazaar of the 11th and 12th century that central currency was invented to stamp out but 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 oddly you know i can buy that model but the bazaar is actually an individual that every individual be, be you know that the bazaar is an interesting point but the way they pinpoint their consumers is they can literally break you down by the number of clicks yeah. into you, know, you have your, it's them. a personal bazaar yeah but that's not our that's not our peer to peer that's not you and me transacting with each other that's you and me being trailed and big data analyzed by some big corporation big data you know, instead exactly. of big data instead of uh, big brother yeah, exactly. Big data. It's <laughs> yeah. a, but they're there. That's yeah. on the other side of your Facebook wall is, yeah, is I, a big data engine that knows if you're going to turn gay, if you're going to have a kid, if you're going to Big get data cancer. is watching us. Big data is and predicting. I mean, yeah. it's the future collapsing uh, yeah. into you while you've got friends from second grade trying to befriend you on Facebook. It's like this this tremendous time compression, which is what, what present shock you know, really is on an emotional level anyway. Okay, so let's speak to that a little bit. What do you mean? Present, like, what, what are the symptoms of the emotional traumatization of living in present shock? Because I know how I experience it immediately. Everything becomes very personal. The internet and, and information that comes through the internet to me through whatever platform possible is some sort of personal attack or some sort of moment of, of emotional connection. But I think that I have to be... I have to adapt that there it seems like there's a generation after me that has a detachment to this because you can't sort of interact with with the present as it is presented to us in your model without becoming incredibly drained as a guy who grew up in a more industrial age. Right. And drained in one of, you know, in the book, I kind of break it up into five ways. The first is narrative collapse. You know, we're used to being raised with stories with beginnings, middles and ends. In a presentist age, we don't have that. Well, you got 140 characters. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Which is the pinpoint now. Yeah. You know, or you have the now sort of the now of the occupiers, which is another which is a healthier now. The now of I'm going to be in this moment. I'm not going to be joining these ends justify the means campaigns with eyes on the prize. And you know, but that's also stopping the pace that you're talking about and saying that, you know, human beings have to have, you know, some some power in this that I think that what was interesting about the Occupy movement outside of the way it traveled through Twitter or it became sort of you know digitized and known throughout the world and a symbol of protest was that there were there were feet on the ground there were people in a place actually being there right and they weren't even marching to something right but (laughs) but, but those of us who weren't there could go okay they've got it covered which is one of the negative elements of, well, of right, it. right. But, the same but, way you Jews in America might say, "Oh, don't worry, there's someone at the Western Wall who's actually praying to God sure, the right way, so sure. I can just write a check." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but th- but that's sort of like how much of that are we going to lose? Because it seems that it's very easy. And, and one of, one of the things that I'm sort of obsessed with right now, I know we're just at one of your five, mm-hmm. is that 
what we have a very predatory content culture mm-hmm. that we are now I think entering somewhat of a troll culture right. that there's a lot of people that don't do shit but you know but steal and 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 prey on other people's content on other people's point of view on other people's like even when you have occupiers who are out there in the streets the number of people that are still at home going you know fuck that is going to be high yeah and they can diminish everything right wow. and then there's not just the people saying fuck that but where's this is the people saying fuck you right you know it's like you know there's just so mean people are so willing you know there's this sense you know when you're online you get this kind of an Asperger's kind of thing where where you don't see the other person you don't sense the other human being i mean you look in the comment section of any place even yeah. the friendly places like boing boing and horrendous. happy places it's horrendous and it's like my god do they realize there's another human being but how here? do you account for that that disposition does that fall into your model at all yeah i, I mean, mean who are the those second, people what's the second thing i'm talking about which is it, the, the second symptom i'm calling it digifrenia uh-huh. which is the sort of mental confusion that comes from having multiple instances of yourself operating at the same time online you know that you 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 no longer have a personal connection to your your uh, your online avatars, to your online pers- personas. Uh-huh. I mean, in some cases, you actually don't. Like on Facebook, they're advertising as you to other people. They're misrepresenting you. And they're taking, the worse, they're taking people who've liked your page and using them in ads. So identity becomes fragmented in how it's represented right. you know, in these different platforms and how it's used by big data. Right. Okay. So then, what does that say for you know how how is there a battle for for your sense of self in this age? Totally. I mean, and if you live in present shock, right? Uh-huh. If you live chasing the tweet and chasing the moment online, then you're not even on the home turf. You're not even on human home turf. Right. You know, the more that you connect, and it ends up sounding kind of new agey, but what the heck? I'm in California today. I can talk uh-huh. like this. You know, the more you connect with the actual cycles by which you live, the kind of biological rhythms and biological clocks which we're just starting to learn about uh-huh. I mean the more coherent you can be in these other spaces so you know it's not just you know jet lag which they looked until the 50s and 60s they thought jet lag was a superstition mm-hmm. it wasn't until major league baseball managers started to say look our pitchers are doing worse when they travel west to east than when they travel east to west why is that that science kind of caught up and now it's really simple things like you know knowing there's a lunar cycle and each week in a lunar cycle people tend to be dominated by a different neurotransmitter you know we go from acetylcholine to serotonin to dopamine to norepinephrine sure, the human machine right if you have a week in each one of those if it's not even the human machine it's the human organism no i know? get it so, but yeah but i mean i hate to be too me- you know too mechanical about it i guess but um but yeah if you understand that that we're all in these rhythms then you know you can ground yourself you know or just be aware of that rather than trying to be in this kind of always on generic reality of the internet well but okay sure you can be aware of that if you're not compulsive if you're not an, have an addictive personality or if you don't have if, some shift work labor where you've got to work against yeah, your thing and you got a boss telling you you've got to keep churning it out but that's the whole thing we're taking the priorities of the industrial age which is more faster efficiency work the person time is money and trying to to exacerbate them with digital technology which really throws them out of control but but who do you think is doing that because it seems to me that a good number of people who are active online a day-to-day compulsively Mm -hmm. are sitting in cubicles supposedly doing something else number one and number (laughs) two you know if that production model it still holds in your premises that it holds in the digital age. What exactly are those bosses expecting people to produce? Because all I see is an almost um, malignant appetite for content. Right. No. Well, from from a lot of people, yeah. But you know, the appetite for content doesn't doesn't 
going to bother me as much, you know, as, well, two things. One is the way that's replaced the need for the appetite for contact. You know, people would rather consume bites yeah. than. Right. Than, the, yeah. Than, it's, a, it's a lot be, less draining. Yeah. Be with others. You yeah, know, there's so, a detachment there. Right. right. So the loss of eye contact, yeah. the, the inability of people to experience rapport with each other. Right. You know, our actual basic social abilities are diminishing as we get more and more of a uh, as we accept more and more simulations. But, you know, it's it's more now the way that machines have learned to make us more compulsive. I mean, our machines are learning more about us than we're learning about them. So every interface you're interacting with, everything that Google shows you, they're all it's just testing, just trying to learn to get you to have a more compulsive, more addictive but, relationship but, to but, it. But, you, but you're, you're, you're talking about the challenge of, of, of being a, a genuine human in a world that is dictated by by this new age. Right, and it's not by the technology, it's by industrial age corporate capitalism being enacted through this technology. Yeah, but, right? but that, because shareholders own these companies, shareholders want fast returns. So every machine that yeah, we're using is being programmed to get us to buy and sell more stuff. Some I, it seems that way, but I don't know that those models have proven, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many startups I've seen begin and fail uh, with this idea of actually creating consumers of something. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they just want people, they want eyes. I mean, it seems that it starts there. Yeah. How do we get eyes on this? How do we get clicks on this? Right. You know, whether or not those business models really work, I still think the jury's out in a well, lot of ways. Well, they don't care for most of them because what they want to do is get enough eyes so they can execute an exit strategy well, okay, well, and make their money and leave. Well, then, well, then yeah. that becomes the big question is that given that most people aren't making things because in the right. same way you say that you know what dictates the internet and what dictates our relationship with it are these corporate entities that are trying to create consumers or maximize right. consumption uh, what you have against that is you know people who are watching the people that have jobs aren't really making much of anything and and you know what 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 is the product is the product us i mean you know what are they trying to uh, to to if what is the job of the future Douglas. Right. Well, the whole thing is, I don't even know that we need jobs in the future. Everyone keeps saying, you know, the, oh, the big problem on the headlines is jobs. We need more jobs for Americans. How are we going to get a factory, yeah. you know, get a bank to lend money to a factory to come right. to a town and give people jobs? Who really wants a job? No, I don't want well, a nobody job. Nobody wants a, a job. job. We want stuff. We want stuff. Yeah, you but know? at some point there has you to be some. There's some people doing some things, but the problem now is not that we don't have enough labor uh -huh. to accomplish what we need to. That be no, fed just, they're, and closed. We don't have enough jobs to justify giving what we already have in abundance to people. So here in Carol, California, we've got banks tearing down houses because. They're they're in foreclosure, and we can't just sell them below market. So maybe the maybe it's getting better, you know, today. But last year we were ripping down houses, mm -hmm. you know, because you can't just let someone live in it because he doesn't have a job. He didn't earn it. So we're destroying food. We're burning food every week. So then, well, what do people do? Just what they just you know Work be aware less. be this aware was, of the lunar cycle and the, sit around and well, wonder yeah. how they're gonna make money. There's no, they don't need to make money that was the whole thing i mean this is why we're retrieving certain values that seem medieval to us right the sort of the burning man etsy uh peer-to-peer -peer values the fact is we've gotten really efficient so now what can we do we can start to unwind the efficiency of del monte and big agra and start doing community supported agriculture you know we can start unwinding the false efficiency of central currency and banking and start to say how could we also have a local currency in our town and provide each other with goods and services the fact is if we don't need everybody working 40 hours a week, which again is a Renaissance era, 13th century construction, 40, the 40 hour week, right, working right, on right, the clock, right. working for by the hour instead of working by the unit that you produce. I mean, all of these things are, are 
features, they're artifacts of a very particular model. So you're saying that as human beings in relation to the advent of technology and the 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 way it makes our life easier and more connected is that there needs to be a contraction in physical reality to a more localized, community-driven uh, barter model of economics yeah or uh, uh you know local favor bank because a barter is you know kind of one on one to one in a in a genuine local economy you can still uh, uh you know i can give you chickens you can fix his shoes and he can because i mean kid. you know uh doesn't uh, have to go back and forth james kunzler talks about yeah. this about you know that you know the the contraction that the suburbs are now going to be sort of you know phantom limbs that are going to die out and you know because there's not going to be enough fuel to get people from place right. to place. Well, it's not so, just, the contraction doesn't have to be just because, and although it's partly because we're we're reaching the limits of of our resources, it's that we've reached the end of the colonialist story. You know, the industrial age only worked. the 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 expansionist debt based economy only works when you've got more and more regions to take over. Now, the last region, you know, was sort of Africa and South America. We ran out, and then they thought, oh, the internet. That's going to be the new region, the new territory. So. What they did was they took the agenda of the industrial age expansion and said, let's throw it into cyberspace and get more hours and more eyeballs and more of this. But that's not the opportunity here. The opportunity here is to actually, I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's what Norbert Wiener and Vannevar Bush and all the original net theorists talked about. We could actually work less. It's just that we don't, the operating system underneath the net, which is just corporate capitalism, that one doesn't work for a digital age economy of abundance. All right, so how, let's just get rid of corporate capitalism then. What's well, the plan? Well, we are. We are doing That's the thing. <laughs> is that's that number the four? Where are we? Well, number three well, or four? That's, uh, we're not, not, none of those. Uh, we're, 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 we're number we're three? Off that, we're off that map in some ways. I mean, I guess what we're in is the is number three, which is overwinding. Okay. Overwinding is when you try to take big time scales and compress them into teeny little ones. So in the in the business landscape, it'd be using derivatives and derivatives of derivatives instead of doing investments. It's like people bought Facebook on the IPO day and they were disappointed they hadn't made money it's, in it's ten bubbles. minutes. It's bubble thinking. It's bubble thinking, but it's wanting to make money on the trade rather than through investing. It's trying or, to get or those through actual goods, doing something right. Yeah. Exactly. We're doing, actually doing something, actually providing. It's inflating an idea and selling it. Right. But the economy of speculation, the economy of derivatives is yeah. bigger than the economy of stocks. The economy of stocks is bigger than the actual uh, uh, supply and demand economy of real people. It's got nothing to do with what you or I actually need from each other. The, 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 the artificial economy, the synthetic economy is two or three hundred times bigger than the actual economy at this point. So we're just that that. So, but what do you think happens when that actually collapses? Is this go, is it going to be a slow fading I'm away, or is to it to make it a slow, wonderful fading away rather than a collapse, a, an awful collapse, a panic, an, right? An but, a post-apocalyptic right. landscape. But the the strategy for both scenarios is the same. Yeah, right. The more friends you have that are actually farmers, <laughs> you know, the yeah. more the more you can you can't be self sufficient. That's 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 an illusion. That's the Unabomber. But the more that you have sort of uh, uh, local um, local supply chains rather than these long, crazy, you know, if you need to get your stuff through Safeway, who's getting it from trucks, who's getting it from another country, these giant supply chains are what are really vulnerable. So it's interesting. What, what you're sort of presenting is, is uh, a rural and I think what would be considered primitive model 
in the face of this amazing technology we have. That well, it's they... not. It's not a prim. It sounds primitive, but what we're doing is. Re- and I'm not saying that in a negative basic. way. Yeah, we're okay, retrieving. Basic. Fine, fine. We're retrieving um, a non-complex, coherent relationship with our food, our shelter, our energy, because we now have the technologies to actually do that in an intelligent but, way. But how do you shift the millions of people that use the technologies that you're celebrating specifically to distract themselves, specifically to be destructive, specifically to isolate themselves in compulsive, you know, sometimes dangerous situations? Right. I mean, the only way this model that you're talking about really seems to function in my eyes right now is Craigslist. So that On a certain <laughs> level, yeah, but what you're really asking- Goods and I, services, I'm can not- you Meet me at this yeah. gas station. Well, another way, another way of asking the same question is: How can you make real sex more attractive than internet porn? In other words, that's really what we're talking about. How do you get people to be as seduced by reality as they are? But they, but because by technology. That, but, but it's the same issue that you're saying is what's distancing ourselves from just interaction is that you know if I can get this done by myself with this stuff right here that nobody would do if I asked them to do it, perhaps, or yeah. I, I certainly couldn't watch 12 people do it. Uh, how am I? You know, I think you're dealing yeah. with another sort of uh, a, a hijacking of the dopamine that you're talking about that we should be aware of with lunar cycles is that the addictive nature of, of what you know, massive amounts of content, whether they be sexual or tweets or whatever, this sort of crack nature of having that at your fingertips right. all the time. I, I hope you're not overestimating a good part of the population. Well, ability. no, it is the crack nature. I mean, and the crack nature is, I mean, classical conditioning is the hardest kind to break. You know, so if you know that every 40 or 50 emails, if you check it all the time, every 40 or 50 of them, there's going to be one that's going to give you that dopamine rush. It's going to be a girl who wants to see you, a new job, tweets, money. Twitter is a better example. That, Twitter. Yeah. Every once in a while, ooh, there's something. It's a speedball. You know, you go, you go, you go, <laughs> it is. and it's sort of like, oh shit, that sucks. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But that, but that. How do you accommodate? How do you create you know an awareness in the human brain, right? Of that process, because I'm aware of it, because I'm a drug addict. Mm. So you know, and knowing you know what one does to act out, or what one, or having some sobriety, which I do, so you can feel what you're doing to act out or to get out right. of yourself or or to to feel that rush you know what the evolution into some sort of productive nature and also the the, the diversity of technology right. and this compulsion to constantly create different platforms to create different ways to get people to watch it like there's a whole business model that i guess you would call industrial that's set up around that which is that we've got these nine different platforms this is for these people this is for these people this is for these people and if we do right. the, that what happens with that because all that stuff seems to die right well the, the prescription and uh, you know my prescription for present shock anyway you know what the, the one i'm selling um, these days is for people to take back their time, you know, even in small bits, you know, to take back you, to take back your moments. And that's, you know, for what does that mean? What does that well, look for like? me? It looked like deciding to take two years to write a book when I'm going to get more attention if I write a tweet. You know, I mean, I, I write, a, you know, I wrote. But a, how do you write? Do you not? Do you do you? Are you ascetic about it? Do you? Yeah, do you, I got to sit and write, you know, or for someone to say, OK, you're going to take five hours of your time to read a book. That's the most radical thing about this book. I'm, I'm, I'm asking people to take that kind of time. I, I'm, Who has I am, that? I'm pissed off that I don't. But but you're saying you're, what you're saying is that's a choice. That if I detach from the internet for a week, it's not going to make fuck all of a difference, right? Or the way I mean, I'm not. And this is not an anti-tech. Uh, no, no, no. Idea. I, I I'm not saying detach from the internet and leave it. I think you go through the internet, use the internet for what the internet is. Great oh, you're for. overestimating people. I've, 
Or, or am I underestimating? I mean, at the same time, like I quit Facebook last month, right? And I quit well, it's Facebook. It's too chaotic. Yeah, but I quit Facebook not just because of the pain it was causing me. I quit Facebook because as a as a minor celebrity on Facebook, soliciting the likes of other people, um, it's it's unconscionable for me to ask people to make themselves vulnerable in the ways that I would disapprove of for them. If I overestimated them, right, if I thought that they were as digitally literate as they need to be, that they all understand that there's a big data machine on the back of it, they all understand that their faces are going to be misrepresented in ads for things they never heard of, then I would stay on there because it's a great tool. Did you ever, did you make the analogy big data versus big brother? Did we just do that here? Um, I think we just did that here. That's fucking good. Let's write that down. Big data. Big, big data, data is watching you. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He is. But big data is watching you. The, the, the thing is, the the we like to believe that it's personified. We like to believe that there is some guy at the top of the corporation doing this, but it, there really isn't. What we're doing is programming our technologies to extract more value from us. That's what we're doing because but, but, we but, are the but, very shareholders right, on the but, other end. But but we're not conscious shareholders necessarily. No, we're, we're not. Only, we're unconscious. But we're only shareholders in that we engage with the technology and what they're doing is mining our desires in order to guide us towards what they want us to guide us towards. Right. So in order to insulate yourself from that, the amount of awareness, because even somebody who is aware, yeah. you, it's surprising how efficient these fucking yeah. machines why, are. I don't think you can insulate yourself from it, but I think what you can do is achieve coherence within it. You, 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 you can be a coherent person, and that's what you have to do is take what aspects of the home field advantage you have. And the, the, your big home field advantage is you are living in real time. Digital technologies live in an asynchronous universe of pings and pulses, where we're actually in real time. So we have we're day decaying. and night. Well, that's beautiful too, though. I mean, sound is decaying. You know, it's different between, in some ways between sound and image. Sound, you experience it because it's decaying. Image is there in the present. We are moving from a much more of an audio culture into a visual culture. That's part of the net. That's why it's much harder to be a but, blind person. But what, now is, than it what used are the to be. implications of this? Just in terms of like, and I'm I'm very hung up with with yeah. with the predatory nature of of people that feel incomplete or aggravated uh -huh. that it, 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 what I've I, I've always thought that there will become a time because of this visual culture that you know historical precedents or, or important movements or moments or even context yeah. historically you know will will deteriorate exactly. it does i mean and that's the fourth syndrome in the book actually it's called fractal noia and fractal noia is the kind of paranoia that results from trying to draw connections between things in the present tense when you have no sense of history when you don't have a story you don't have cause and effect 9-11 happens and you say how can i look at what happened on this day and understand oh there must be that smoking gun here and smoking gun there there's no story there's no history and if you look at the history it's conspiracy and you know, who trained this guy who gave him money? How did that right. actually work? The real story is bad enough. We don't have access to that story because we're trying to do it right in the moment. The, the answer, of course, is to be able to do true pattern recognition, you know, which is hard for people. How do you see what's similar? How do you see the cycles that are repeating themselves? But also just the fact that anybody who exists on the Internet, who has a profile on the internet or has a biography or a history on the internet that that person just exists in the present that the the application yeah. that you're saying is that so anything that person did to anybody taking it in 
in a certain way without putting it into context. It's just all there at this one. It's it, all there. You, you can't right. afford anybody any evolution or any growth. They're they're responsible for whatever they're responsible for their entire life, whether it be a company or an right. individual in that moment. And you put it on the timeline. Even you know, Facebook creates this timeline, which just exacerbates that feeling. Right. But it's all right there. You know, the the friend who finds me or person I don't even remember from second grade, all of a sudden they're there with the same weight as someone who I'm friends with now. It's like the past never leaves you it, you can't it can't recede that's why you know you look at kids now they're not even using facebook they're they're leaving which is very positive because yeah, their the, parents are there right because their parents <laughs> are there and because they don't want everything they do to be on their permanent record you know they're using snapchat and very temporary that's digital it, but devices. that's interesting about the sort of a digital paper trail and just about like if you really think about your day if you know if you text if you uh, email if you're on twitter and you check your facebook that on on any given day i imagine you have a massive sort of weird digital paper trail yeah there's an archive you know every email that you send although it seems ethereal you may as well be you know etching it into the side of the parthenon. Yeah, because big data has it. Big data has it. And you feel like it's gone, but it's going to come back to you. It's just all your emails that ever exist are just one little text file. You know, that seems big now, but you know how those files they're all going to come back to you and beat the shit out of you when you least expect it. (laughs) Well, exactly. Or be used against you in a court of law. You know, there you have it. Well, what is that? What, so Everything what, you say can and will, right? Well, yeah, but what, what, what does that say about the, the kind of weird, you know, we sort of asked for this. You know, this we was- We sort a, of asked for this, And, and yeah. you know, it's like, uh, you know, there, I used to do a line where it was like, Big Brother is watching us and that's what we pay him for. But, the, <laughs> but the, the idea is that, you know, there is a surveillance-based society that is completely voluntary. That, that in, in a sense- Right, that, kids know, are putting it up on their walls. You know, it used to be the walls of your bedroom that re- reflect back to you who right. you were. Now it's broadcast but to the what, world. What, how does this play into you know to to moral sensibility? Because well, I know it's not pe- about morality for these people. It's about and, and it's about getting on American Idol. No, it's but I'm saying a, bro- a bigger yeah. question is you know how much of what we've put in place or what has been put in place yeah. technologically is actually stopping people from doing things because they know every at every given turn with every push of a button with every turn of a corner they're on camera. There is something you know. There is something transmitted. There's evidence. Do you think that? <laughs> <laughs> that you know that we live in a surveillance yeah. in uh, surveillance culture but a lot of people you know are willing to forego that freedom to have the convenience of what we live in um yeah which is why we're starting to get you know gay marriage and legal pot and all that because it's like all right if everybody's gonna know i'm you know, having sex in this way, then it can't be, I can't have, I can't live in a state where sodomy is illegal because it's, it's out, right? Uh uh You know, I can't live in a state where smoking pot's illegal because we're all smoking pot. And you don't want to live in this world where they can use selective enforcement against just, just the pot smokers they don't like. Right. So you've got to fight the idea that, you know, that as, as the technological database grows on any one individual, that, that, that the fight, that's interesting, that the fight really becomes, it's like, they're stacking this shit against us. So if we don't make it known and, and create a legal precedent that diminishes some of the power of a surveillance state, then we're going to be fucked. Right. Because hmm. everything's going to be enforceable. Right. Well, that's it. Well, there you go. I mean, that, well, that's going to really be the make or break of your big fucking system here. Yeah. Is that, you know, who is ultimately going to get, who is ultimately going to take charge and in what kind of way are they going to take charge of this world that you're talking about? I mean, the interesting thing, the interesting flip for me is, you know, the net started out, it felt like it was sort of the little home for the counterculture where we could talk about weird stuff and Mm -hmm. 
And now it's like the real world is the home for the counterculture, and the net is 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 really the 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 native soil of the of, of well, corporate I, well, America. And I, and I do think that's a, you know that speaks to a lot of what's going on on a grassroots level around you know local farm economies or around a lot of the stuff you're mm-hmm. talking about is specifically a reaction towards the the hyper reality or non reality of what's being presented to us through media and through technology. Right, and it's also I mean, and for me, it has so much to do with real time. You know, it's 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 the real time economy. It's your real time social relationships as opposed to these ones that are frozen. But 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 that real time is all well and good. But like right now, as we talk for an hour, one of our identities and our entire our, our complete fucking status in the world could be being destroyed. Right on, on that Twitter computer. without her knowing. Yeah, exactly. But you got to get over that one. I mean, you know that moment. <laughs> you know when you wake up when you wake up yeah. in the morning and that bad tweet thing has yeah, happened. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, I got to do damage control. We're all like, you know, Marlboro. You know, having a, a, a corporate. But the crisis. way it ripples, and this is because of the hunger of the machine that I'm talking. Yeah. that I talked about before is that the, well, the, the hunger of the machine combined with the meanness of the audience and the readiness for people that's to just what, but, feed on the. That's on right, the, but. <laughs> that is the addictive need for content that I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. That with the way the content providers are set up and what they know juices people, yeah. which is controversy and bullshit, yeah. is that like if that wins, dude, then you know what is going to be the fabric of our real time? Yeah. But that's but that's but, yeah, wait, but, but there's a better question yeah. though because a lot of those people that engage in that online whether they're consumers or actually victims of it yeah. I mean in real life they're just sort of like hey what's up you know like that once you re-enter yeah. real time everything that's going online is really bullshit right for now although I feel like the more time we spend online in that the meaner we get in real life the more likely we are just to say hey, well, I think that's you, right I, hate well, I you think that's right yeah. I, I think that 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 in, in indulges a type of narcissistic behavior and a type of you know lack of of, of politeness and and personal morality that that you know that that becomes very hazy right. between like your your pseudo persona or your the way you interact without anonymously online will eventually affect how you engage the rest of the world and I, I think there's a a lack of empathy right and that's and that's of concern which is why people have to you know so I'm arguing in in this book I'm arguing if you're in school for seven hours in a day don't have your kids with their faces in the iPads you know actually be with them and there's so few opportunities people have to be in rooms with one another looking in each other's eyes that's why this podcast is popular right and the interesting (laughs) thing about the podcast is what you're doing is exploiting the asynchronous nature of the internet in order to connect people rather than disconnect people right this is not live this is potted but but but, but in my thought around this and the way this has evolved you know this particular podcast was that all i'm I'm coming at anybody with is a need to connect right and I'm assuming that within an hour that we will have a genuine connection and because audio right. is so intimate you know you can sense that right and a lot of the people that gravitate towards what happens here is it's about the conversation and about knowing that you know it's it's always interesting to me that you know people say well it's you're like doing therapy with people in there it's like no there was a time where people communicated and sat down and just <laughs> shot the shit for I an know. hour he's like now the only way people have an honest conversation is if they pay the other person or, or, or if that it's not it, commodified it doesn't even exist or that it's yeah. a, or that it's a sign of weakness in and of itself right. that there is a careerist you know positive thinking you know just you know you know fuck everybody else it's about you disposition that has evolved because i think of what you're talking about that once industrialism as a sort of group thing started to to fall apart and careerism and sort of positive right. thinking started to take hold at positive thinking as a means through which people will right, not feel like they're thinking. Well, yeah. and, 
but any of it, t- yeah. Anthony Robbins, any of it, yeah. the, the self-empowerment movement to sort of counteract the despair of now being untethered from, from industrial right. uh, uh, momentum, uh, I think creates a, a problem in, in society in that everything becomes pathologized and the actual idea that human beings are built to sort of carry the burden of other people no matter what it is without saying look I got no time for this I, you know, I, that's I, the I social reality and the thing is that thing that we're avoiding is the thing that actually feeds us and makes us human you know? yeah it, <laughs> it, it is exactly the soul nourishing right. element of humanity's ability to sort of be there for another person you know and, and sort of carry the load yeah. for a minute with an empathetic eye or ear right and the only the only times we do that is Honestly, these it's in recovery, right? <laughs> you know? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, it, it, I think that's true. And I, but I, I think that you know, I've always put a big premium on it. That you know, like I spent a lot of my youth wandering around, hanging around record stores, hanging around guitar shops, and I think the record store phenomenon, the, the resurgence of vinyl, mm-hmm. is is sort of a reaction to, right. to what you're saying. Is part of this right. barter. The and same this, way the Romantics reacted to industrialism, we have a new kind of a, a real a real time medieval reaction to digital digital and you like know, I'm Etsy so, and peer to peer and yeah. maker movement even maker bots I mean everybody's hands on so then what what in your mind I think we're at point four but what yeah. in your mind you know is the battle at hand I mean like like if we're seeing if you're seeing the 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 digital landscape as being primarily corporatized and and what occurs against that within the digital landscape is pirating and hacking and a disruption of the the, the digital flow of the corporations you know what is the real fight between us in real time and whatever's happening in that digitized landscape I mean what what's the struggle at hand well the struggle at hand is that the digitized landscape wants to uh, take away you know, whatever's left of the real time. Of humanity. Yeah. Of what, what makes us human. I shouldn't say humanity, yeah. but maybe and, on some level. And, and this is, is, you're right, is the last syndrome in the book, what I call apocalypto, is, you know, my peers, the my fellow sort of digital enthusiast media theorists are, have, a, have a very self-loathing view of humanity. They see human beings as just one stage in information's inevitable journey towards greater complexity. You know, you read James Glick's book, The Information, or read Kevin Kelly's What Technology Wants, or anything by Ray Kurzweil about the singularity. Humans are just a step in in information's journey. And that has the medium and the message tragically that seems reversed. Horrendously cynical. It, to me, it does. Now, they see it as optimistic. Saying, In what way? Get Where? over it. Get over it. Get over your ego and your humanity and this and that. Don't you understand that it's bigger than you and that, that my focus on humanity is self-centered? But but see, to me, that type of thinking can only lead to a, a, a fascism. Of course. That's the only place it goes. But then, but then they would argue, well, on a certain level, if isn't fascism okay as long as the fascists are always right? <laughs> yeah, but that was always, but that, right, but that was always the, that was why intelligent people supported fascism initially. Right, it's a, and it, Time Magazine and everybody and, did. And, and also, it's also the, the sort of misconception of the philosopher king. Right. Because the, the one thing that everybody forgets, and it seems to be forgotten in the markets in general, yeah. is that the whole idea of a free market eventually finding its own level, that, you know, without regulation, you know, capitalism will, will seek its own level and it will benefit the people. What, what people forget is that the basic blueprint 
at one point in time, it, though it was religious dogma, nonetheless, yeah. it, it was a means to to sort of uh, harness civilization are the seven deadly sins. So right. if you're going to you know discount the idea of greed and avarice and the, the quest for power out of this equation, the scientific equation about the evolution of information, you're making a tremendous mistake and people are going to die. Right. <laughs> Right. And that's basically the problem. So and what they don't realize is that their, you know, what I'm calling apocalypto, their sort of singularity vision is so conveniently consonant with corporate capitalism. Everything's going to keep. Right, well, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Let's, yeah. let's, let's give me a primer on the singularity. Singularity basically says technology is going to get more and more complex until it gets either conscious or. Or better at everything than us, so human beings become superfluous, except to the extent that we can keep the machines. Servicing alive. technology, right? Huh? And then, but, that but it's a new form of life. Yeah, but there was animals, and there was people, and now there's computers, and they are our uh, our children. They are the next uh, the next phase of civilization. But but, but well, tell me, like you know, the the scientific ambition. And the competitiveness within the thinkers that are thinking this, you know, are willing to disregard the complete evolution of of, of civil society and and just the poetry of the human struggle. Right. What they what they're willing to discount is the the quirkiness of people. They think that, bother, that that's a bothersome to them. Well, it doesn't exist to them. They think that we're going to figure out the genome. Everything is it's all figure outable, right? That it could all be modeled. In a machine, right? We've got the DNA code. Obama just said this week he wants to get, you know, the figure out the brain. You know, what's the, how does yeah, the brain yeah, work? Yeah, yeah. And it's as if it's as if you're going to find it, you know. And and if it turns out that they're wrong, if it turns out that human beings are basically radios and not the source of it, right? Yeah, but but the difference you know, between- then then they're 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 never going to find it. Well, well, well in, until they find the transmitter. Yeah, right, but that might here. not be here. That might be in oh, some sure. other dimension, you know. Yeah. But, but that them. would throw a wrench but in the thing. Exactly. But what, what, what I'm saying, are weird that, and fun. But the, but the line between yeah. figuring that out and and uh, you know leads directly to control and destroy. Yeah, in, in the sense that, like, well, if we can't figure it out, at least we can wire them the way we want them to behave. Right, and if they're unhappy, we're going to drug them so they're they're. You That's know. right. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it's it's easy to speculate about this, but it, it's sort of like the manufacturing of need is really what consumerism is about. Right. And, and, and that's really where industrialism is now, is that if we can keep, you know, if big data can keep mining these desires and manufacturing needs, then we can feed those needs. And that's how barter works. So you're right. And people up, will chase them and chase them and what, chase but, them. Yeah, but right. But once that taps out and you and what you yeah. say maybe becomes true that people don't need to work and everything else. Yeah. In, in my mind, what that looks like is like, OK, we don't need to manufacture need. We just need to completely control. Right, so which is you're, just so, as bad. Right, but so that's yeah. what you're fighting. Yeah, that your your idea is it's a William Burroughs said control needs control to survive. Yeah, so you know what you're basically saying is to pull ourselves out of this paradigm, we have to preemptively fight against you know, you, you know this machine that will eventually tap out by controlling us. That's right. how it's going to. But work. and the way to do that is not to run away from the machine, but to learn how to use the machine, to program the machine, to be on the on to make your. But how is that different than the servicing technology? Well, because then you're programming. Okay. Then you're you are you are deciding what the program's going to do. All right. So know? finish with the singularity. So so the singularity is. So it happens, and then human beings are done. Mm. You know, or or I mean, it's you either go into the matrix where you're just the batteries and right. the attendants of the machine, or any number or we're of not uh, needed at all. Dystopic science fiction. And we're supposed fantasies, to be yeah. okay about that because you know Ray Kurzweil thinks that 
you know, human consciousness is so simple and so limited that we could just upload it to the chip, you know, and then it'll be fine there. You know, just get over yourself already. Hmm. Um, and that how would he feel if it happened to him? Well, he wants to live forever. You know, he, I think that's really the key to this yeah. whole thing. I want my consciousness to be uploaded first, <laughs> and I want to be aware of it, and I want to be yeah. aware with it. But ideally, I'm going to take enough whatever, you know, new genomic hormones and stuff to, mm. to live forever anyway. I just don't know what the... So, so you're saying that, you know, when it comes right down to the, 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 the epic battle, it's for living in uh, a present that is dictated by human time versus being hijacked by an ever-present that is digital time. Yeah, or or analog time before that, or calendar time before that. You know, there's been an age-old time battle. Time is a problem. But, but between chronos, <laughs> you know, yeah. Greeks call it chronos, time of the clock, uh -huh. has always been in somewhat in conflict with kairos, mm -hmm. which is t human timing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what's the best time to tell dad you crashed the car? Mm -hmm. It's not 5.03, it's yeah. after he's had his drink, right? Yeah, it's but, when you but, get a good story together. Right, it's timing. Yeah. But there's, you know, and human beings live in the realm of timing, and we've used time, chronological time. We've used chronos to really either distract us or box us in or dehumanize us one way or another. Right. Whether it's, you know, to to create, you know, monotheism and this one God that's going to someday come back in the messianic age and don't worry, whether it's the industrial age where time is money and there's a clock and now you're going to work by the hour or now the digital age where you don't even have time at all and you're just supposed to somehow treat it all as generic. Um, it, all of that is about riding roughshod over that quirky way that human beings actually move through our experience. And if you reconnect with that kind of time, you know, you achieve coherence, you can see these systems for what they are, and you can begin to map out a strategy. Well, I think the metaphor of the matrix is already really functioning in the sense that, you know, we are sort of the battery that, you know, right. the, the engine doesn't run without our eyeballs on it. So, right. you know, we're, we're the happy batteries. Exactly. But it's got, again, the medium and the message reversed. You know, that's not, we're not here to service the market. The market was here to service us, you know, and the technology is just the face of the market at this point. Uh huh. So where does, um, I know, I, I remember now we had a conversation on one of my other outlets, I can't remember where, that, you know, you had written a book about, uh, about Judaism. At, yeah. at one point, what was the thrust of that? that Where do you well, stand with called, that now? Same thing. I mean, that was called nothing sacred. And the idea of that was I felt that Jews had gotten locked into the Jewish story as history uh -huh. rather than as analogy, than as metaphor. You know, they had basically, they felt like if it's not actually factually true, then well, we're going to lose this piece of real estate in the Middle East. Yeah, we're going to yeah, have right, all these right, problems. So right. we have to lock it down as fact. And, you know, to me, it's like it's about letting kind of historicity or letting the, the, the historical validity of something overtake its relevance to the now, to the actual moment we're in. Okay, so... Uh, in, Judaism in, is a process that occurs in the present tense. It's a way of engaging with other people. You know, it's not... Not uh, not, un, not unlike what we're supposed to be doing with technology. Or so we're, we're supposed to be doing right now, you and me. Well, we are doing it. Yeah. For, from from what I can tell. It is. Yeah. Sure it is. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're sort of debating, but not really. Yeah. We're having a conversation. Yeah. We're we're hashing it out. Yes. And and, and God would be would thrilled that we're challenging. He would. He would him. come. He would he would come. Yeah. He would show up. So so where where do you do you ever put any thought into the the sort of innate necessity for human beings to feel connected to something bigger than themselves? Do you think about yeah, that in terms of what you're I thinking do, about? I do, but it? it's it's like what replaced our innate 
desire to be connected to our community was the the connection of people to these big movements, to these mm-hmm. big campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, rally around me and we're going to go, you know, sure. take over the French or right. something. Sure. You know, and that's not belonging really that's belonging with a with an agenda that's that's something else sure sure it's like i don't really understand what the fight is for but i'm mad about other things like, like, i'm gonna go it. yeah and it's a eyes on the prize it's a great way and it worked for you know a thousand years and it worked really well in the 20th century for civil rights movement the environmental movement but it's like how can we group without necessarily having that without an end you know to justify the means you, why can't the group be the end be do you the, think that there is a way to sort of you know compact this message in a way that 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 human beings will understand without there being some catastrophic series of events that that drives people into the streets and and makes it a very hands-on fight of community versus chaos and tribalism you know it 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 does seem like that's the road we're going to go down right (laughs) um you know but you know the 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 things we would do to prepare for that eventuality are actually the same things we could try to do to prevent that from happening. You know, the more you have, if you have a local favor bank or a local currency, if you're using community-supported agriculture, if you've got petro, biodiesel, if you're if you're doing those things already, then you're already um, deflating the dominance of Walmart in your community. Yeah, but I'm not saying about Walmart. I'm saying about the other neighborhood that doesn't have the the diesel. Like you know, like when when you get down to this sort of loose. You know, not even a confederation of of you know rural and basic, but ultimately inevitably tribal communities. You know, wh- you know what what's going to be in place? Are you are you still foreseeing some sort of legislative democracy? Are you? Oh for- yeah, I think you get both. Is the thing what we're looking at is balance. Just because we move from the industrial age and you know and and highly centralized government authority and corporate authority to a more digitally distributed. Uh, uh, civilization doesn't mean you lose it. It's just the balance shifts a little bit. So I think we have both. We still have central currency and international trade to get our iPhones, and we have a lot of local stuff going on to get our chard. So okay, so you mean, <laughs> so what you're saying is that you know on a federal level, you know on a state to state level, a city to city level, town to town level, uh, the the central government says, yeah, you can use your local currency if we approve it, and it's only within this these parameters, and 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 that's fine. We encourage that. So so or, or with no well, permission at all, or if we can tax it or whatever. Yeah, right. So that well that that'll be an interesting fight, and I I wonder how long it will take for. For legislative democracy to be re-delivered to the people, and and if that, if what you're talking about is a means to that end, uh, I'd be I'd be interested to see how that works because right now it's it's really just a, a you know it's a money laundering front yeah you know for corporate interests so yeah well I, the thing is they're they're the the beauty of it is corporations have gotten so good at collecting money that they've now lost the ability to make money with that money you know corporate. Corporate profit over net corporate worth has been going down steadily for about uh-huh. 60 years. Yeah. So it means they don't know how to make money with money anymore, right? And that's actually good news, right? Because it means that they're, that they're going to have to kind of uh, uh, wind down to some extent. Right. Well, that sounds interesting. 
Yeah, or fight to the death, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know how it all looks. But like, you know, you talk to a lot of people, and I'm sure there's been people at this precipice throughout every era in history that are not necessarily apocalyptic, but anticipating a a sort of cataclysmic change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't usually seem to happen very fast. Not in America. It takes an awful lot of shit to go down for people to change their behavior. Right. <laughs> and it probably will. I mean, you know, the two places I see these kinds of things happening are, you know, uh, uh, Ithaca, New York, where people have the luxury of doing it because they're all great, crunchy, hippie, you know, wonderful, forward thinking people. And Lansing, Michigan, yeah. you know, <laughs> where they've got no jobs and no money and no food. So they're they're building their own economy. Well, I think Detroit, too, is someplace to watch. Yeah. I think that, you know, where you have the shells of of industrial, uh, you know, maximum industrial success that is clearly gutted. You know, how they occupy those shelves like hermit crabs is going to be interesting. Right. I don't know. Have you been to Detroit? Have you done any traveling? Are you taking Yeah, I'm actually, in? I'm supposed to start a radio show through WDET in Detroit, their NPR station there. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm going to do it through New- from New York, do a local, <laughs> a local Detroit radio show and then scale it out from there. Where do you live in New York? Now I live in a little town called Hastings on Hudson. It's a uh, yeah, kind a of north. a strange little lefty, uh, yeah, town. North and of the and, city. and are you seeing any of the stuff you're talking about take root? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. outside of you, I'm not saying that you would have spurred. I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're out in the street going, "Come on, you guys, <laughs> who's growing the kale?" Yeah. But what are you seeing up yeah, there? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I I still see the the most positive signs in places like Occupy. You know, where I see uh, Occupy debt. Right. And the debt jubilee and people, you know, buying debt at pennies on a dollar and just relieving it, you know, things like that. But that's sort of like classic late 60s pranksterism. Except that, it's work. It's real, though. No, no, no. I'm not saying yeah. it's not real. I mean, it was real then. I mean, you know, when they uh, were you know ripping up money and throwing it out of the Wall Street Stock Exchange when Abby Hoffman was. You know, I mean, the, the metaphor of that, you know, had an right. effect. But that the metaphor of that had an effect, but it didn't ripping up money didn't help anybody. Right. You know, in this case, raising 10,000 bucks and relieving, you know, five million dollars of debt off actual people who now don't have to worry about it anymore is is a great model that actually why don't we buy it instead of you know <laughs> instead of visa companies and and why don't we ease the burden of this other person right right I mean, which is nice but yeah i see it i mean it's again it's easier for you know uh, middle and upper middle class you know white people living in the suburbs to do community supported agriculture than it is you know, someone living in the middle of Detroit. Trying well, to it grow becomes it very it, it becomes very difficult when you have people that are uh, despondent, despairing, uh, aggravated, angry, uh, seeking justice mm-hmm. to sort of like you know get them to to realize that it's not specifically personal. It's an it's an economic liability of a failing system, and and to sort of unite around a proactive idea that isn't sort of weird nationalistic right. and hate-based. Right, but that's why, I mean, I feel like by by not being goals-oriented, mm-hmm. but by being present-oriented, saying, no, we're not going to have a revolution. We're just doing it. Right. You know, it, it becomes a lot easier for people because now they're not being fed another line. They're not being asked to go do another thing in order to get some other thing. Mm-hmm. So what else? What about music? How's everything going? Do you, <laughs> do you listen to music? Is there happiness in your life? Do you turn the brain off at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still listening. I listen to old music. Right? Yeah. Although, you know, new old music. I'm listening to uh, Neil Young's new record. Oh, yeah? So you're, you're a little older than me. You can't, you can't shake that, can you? You can't. 
It's weird, right? Well, whatever kind of music type you get that gets anchored like between 16 and 22. That's absolutely true, right? I still listen to the Yes album, you know? It just doesn't go away. Yeah, I don't quite go there. Yeah. But uh, I was it's prog rock. Is you were a prog rock under, kid? Yeah, it's That's, underestimated. So you were a nerd. I was a nerd, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up to be a nerd. Doesn't, can't, get, can't get rid of it. I've been, I've been listening to a lot of vinyl and a lot of stuff's coming out on vinyl and just trying to open the brain up. But you're, there are slots that things fall into that were sort of dug when you were in, yeah. in high school and maybe a little older where, you know, well, this seems to fit into something I can understand. Yeah. Well, all right, Douglas, I think we covered it. Do you? Yeah. You feel good yeah, about it? I do. Did we miss anything? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure. But this is, not, this is a good, I feel like I talked with a person though. It's yeah. Rare. Oh, really? Remember? Remember people? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting when you do some radio or some, you know, whether or not somebody's just going to talk at you. Hi! Yeah, there's that. So tell yeah. us about your new book. What yeah. is Present Shock? Yeah, yeah, and you just jump into a momentum of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were jamming, though. I appreciate cool. you coming down. And I, Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov on the show. Thank you. Mazel Tov on your brain and your books. <laughs> Take care. All right, that's our show. That was interesting, wasn't it? Did we uh, jam a little bit? Did I jam with the public thinker? With the uh, professional thinker? Did we jam? Did we think jam? All right, go to WTFPod.com. Get all your WTFPod needs met. Check the calendar. Leave a comment. Check the episode guide. Get the app. Get the Lipson deal to start your own podcast. Buy a little merch. I will be in, at Zany's in Nashville Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, July 18th, 19th, and 20th. I will be doing the Sub Pop Silver Jubilee on uh, July 12th up in Seattle. And I'll be around watching music, too. Jonah Hill is going to be on the show Thursday. Okay, that's that. Boomer lives! <laughs>